when I left Hamlin back in 79, 80, can't remember exactly, went to Mount Vernon, uh, led worship at First Baptist Church, and then also starting a, a student ministry at that, at that church. I was there a while and uh, began to reach teenagers, and I began to hear about a couple of guys in town. They were the ringleaders of the party group and the troublemaking group, okay? Uh, Derek Barnes, and the other one's Pat Elsie. And he's, I asked Pat to speak today, and he's going to tell you his story, tell you his testimony. But when, we, when I went down there, that was the rumble as we were trying to reach teenagers in that community. Well, these two guys are the troublemakers. They're the party. Now, they weren't mean. They could be mean, but they weren't necessarily mean. Everybody in the world knew them there. They were just, they were not pulling toward the Lord. And what's really weird, Pat, is you come up. Pat and I and Vicki and Liz and we found ourselves last night at a dinner in the home of Derek Barnes, the other one, who is passionate for the Lord and talking about a ministry development. And this guy right here was, a, was among them. And he's big enough you don't cause him trouble, you know. You just say, yes, sir. And so... Today, I've asked Pat to just share you with a testimony with us. Would you? Let's pray for him, would you? Father, I want to thank you so much for my brother Pat today. I ask you, God, to speak to him. I pray that you'd calm any nerve. And, Lord, I pray you'd fill him with your Holy Spirit, that he would have the message that we need to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See, I'm turning 50. <laughs> well, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Um, as Mark asked me to share my testimony, I got to thinking about my family, my testimony, and where I'm at today and why. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we all need to look at ourselves in the mirror and evaluate from time to time. So it's kind of a testimony, a little mini sermon, however you want to take that. Uh, and I entitled it, What is Your Family History? And the reason I entitled it that way is as you get older and you go, you start realizing you're going to the doctor more than you are anything else. And the first thing they ask you is, what's your family history? High blood pressure, you have that, heart disease, diabetes, cancer. And, the, and it just goes on and on, this list that you fill out, and they want to know what your family history is. And, and so... It was, it, it was very interesting that it doesn't mean that I'm going to end up with that disease because I was doing a little bit of reading about it. It's just likely I may end up with that. It's just, it gives you, it increases your chances. So um, I got to thinking about that. I find it interesting because then I got to thinking about the Lord laid upon my heart, what's your do, the question would be, do you hand this down from generation from generation spiritually? And so, in Exodus 34.6, I got to do some research and I found this passage of Scripture and it reads like this. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithful 
maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and to the fourth generation. And so, I got to thinking about that. I'm going to tell you about my dad more than myself right at the moment. I'm going to tell you where I came from. My dad, there were four of us kids. My, my sister Lucinda, who was the oldest. I had a brother who was mentally handicapped. His name was Paul. Paul's about 6'6". Six, six. He's, he's getting older now, so he's kind of hunched down. He makes me look little. He could have, you know, if he would have fully developed, he was, he... When he was a child, his soft spot hardened on his brain, so it didn't allow his, his brain to grow. So therefore, he became mentally handicapped. But he physically grew, and he, he's quite, quite a specimen of a man. I mean, he's 6'6". He's six, six. He makes me look small. And I have my brother, Rusty. And then there was myself, I being the youngest. And so, I don't really remember my dad. That's the problem. He left me. He left my mom with us four kids when I was six months old. Uh, so I had to go back and talk to my mom a lot about him because my dad has passed on now. And so what I found out about him was he was a very, he, could, he was a very intelligent man and he could, and he was an extremely good salesman. And so I asked my mom, I said, so mom, what happened? She said, well, he got a job at Sears, and he was, like I said, he was a really, really good salesman. He got to go into the corporate world. He got involved with that, got to drinking, got to run around with other ladies, and got us consumed by the things of the world, basically. And he left. And, and, he, and, and, and on his side of the family... They had a cabin down at, at Lake Tanicomo. And she said, I, I said, well, Mom, what, what was their spiritual life? She said, well, they would go to church. I mean, that was expected. They go to church. And that, but, but it wasn't a priority. Christ, you know, there was, Jesus Christ was not their priority. The cabin was. They'd go down there and occasionally come to church. And so... As his life went on, he got more and more violent. Uh, my brother told me of a time that he busted the windows out of my mom's house, mistreated my mom, which I can't even imagine. But that's what it was. And so, I did not meet, and so I got to where I didn't even know this man. I didn't know him. I, he left me at six months old. And so, he became, he, he left and went to Texas, moved to, to uh, Longview at the time. And he became very successful. He started a business called Red, Wigg Red Wiggler Worms. He was very creative in his mind of how, he was an entrepreneur. He could, he could make things happen. And so he started this Red Wiggler Worms. And then he came up with a worm, it's a can of pop that was called Worm Juice. That was very successful. And he made a lot of money doing that. And then he got into the oil business and he done well for quite a while. He was flashy. He had, he had the material things, but he was an alcoholic. 
and he would just soon lie to you as the day is long. He got with he he had, he he was very unfaithful to his wife his his wife that he had married Marilyn my stepmom and so I really didn't know him and you could not trust one word that he would say not one word and so I met my dad when I was 11 years old for the first time. I'll tell you how that happened. He kept calling my mom and he, he just pestered her to death that he thought I got to come out with my brother. So my mom puts me on a bus, my brother and I on a bus. We get on this bus. And it was Trailway Bus Line. I remember it. I got sicker than a dog on that bus. I'll never forget that trip. And we pull up to Longview, Texas where my dad was living. And I look out the window, and there's this man standing there. And I said, my, and I said look at that guy, Rusty. He goes, that's, my dad, that's your dad. I, my brother had met him prior to. Do you know how odd that is, an 11-year-old kid to walk up and introduce himself to his dad? Pretty odd. Pretty odd. So then, as time, so now he's met me. So I guess he felt entitled that he should have contact with me. So he would, he would call, he'd call me up, and, and mind you, my mom and them did not have much money. She was trying to raise four kids. So he would call us up, and, and, and my mom got remarried to my stepdad. I kind of left that out. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. But he, my mom got remarried to my stepdad. His name's Marvin. I love him, but I did not respect him for the fact that I did not have anyone in my life until I was six years old. My mom raised me. And I knew that. I knew he, this, was, this guy wasn't my dad. I knew that. And so I didn't have much respect for him. And uh, we, lived in a we lived on a block called Juanita Drive there in Mount Vernon when I was at this young age. So I perceived a man however I wanted to. I perceived a father figure in my life by the guys that surrounded me. That, and I, I was surrounded by some pretty rough guys. They, they, I, the, the, the cursing, the drinking, these were teenagers that were having an impact on my life. So I just kind of perceived it that way, that that's, how life, that's what a man is. And then to top it all off, I go meet my dad, and he's a drunk. And he's an alcoholic, and he's a liar, and he's a thief. He would, he, he, my mom said that he would tell people that he would pay him and never pay him. And he was, he was very good at swindling people. But yet I loved him. It was, un, it was just, it was, a, it was a very unusual thing, but I still loved him. After I met him, I thought, oh, that's what I want to be. I want to be like my dad, to a degree. Until he started lying and he started, he'd call me up and say, son, you got any school clothes? I'd say, no, dad, we don't have no, I don't have no school clothes. But he goes, well, school's starting up, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, school's starting up. He said, I'll send you some money. Every day I'd walk out there and I'd look in the mailbox, no money. And my mom knew and she'd say, son, this went on for weeks. And I'd call my dad up and I'd say, dad, that money hasn't got here. He said, son, it, it, I sent it. It should be there. 
I said, but dad, it ain't there. He goes, well, I'll put a, this is how quick thinker my dad was. He said, I'll put a tracer on. I'll trace it down, find out. It must be lost in the mail. So I'd wait a week or two. And then he'd, he wouldn't leave that alone. He'd call me up. Did you get it? No. No, I didn't get it. I'd go back. I'd start walking in the mailbox again. And I got angrier and angrier and angrier <laughs> and bitter for the lies and the hurt and the rejection. It's what it was. And, my, and so, so as an eighth grader, I started drinking. In eighth grade, I started drinking. And I'll never forget the first time I'd done it. I was in Stott City, Missouri. I think it's 97 Highway. I drank, and I drank some more, and I drank, and I drank, and I drank until I become completely numb. And then I felt pretty good. Because I was hurt. I didn't have this father figure that every, uh, that all my other buddies had. And so, for the first time, I, I didn't feel that hurt and that pain. Well, that, so, I kept drinking. And I'm telling you, you know, people argue alcohol is not a bad deal. It sure ain't a good deal. <laughs> and so, the next thing I know, I was smoking dope. I was lying. I was stealing. I was fighting and turning in to what's really weird, the very person I despised, my dad. I was turning into, and I realized that. It, it, it took me until I was 23 years old. And, I went, and then I went up to Ketchikan, Alaska. And that's where I met the Lord. So my question was, I was 700 miles away from my dad, but yet I was turning into him. And... Uh, so the question would be, can we, can we carry our family spiritual traits? I would have to say, no. I don't carry my dad's traits. But only if I choose not to. Because here's the good thing. Here's the good thing. It, in Christ, in Corinthians chapter 5 through 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. For the first time in my life, I was free. Free from the bondage of hurt, the pain. But yet, I struggled with that. Uh, I struggled with the fact that in John 3.16, it says, the first, and, and so God had to break me because I was a strong-willed person. After all, I, I had no guidance. I got to be a pretty good street fighter. I could hold my own, and I didn't mind doing that. I, ne I never really caused a lot of problems. I just didn't take any, you know? I refused to. I'd been hurt enough. And if you were going to hurt me, you were going to earn it. That was just my mentality. And, 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 uh, and, and as, as, Brother, as Pastor Mark 
mentioned Derek Barnes. He was about the same way. Was, he was one of them guys. I can go back and I can look at the history of my friends that were from divorced families without a father in their home. And every one of them have very strong addiction problems. Or could. Some of them have been found in Christ. Set free, just like me. Some of them are still carrying those burdens. They just refuse to accept Christ as their Savior. And so, so God had to break me. So when I get up to Alaska, I go to Ketchikan, Alaska. The first year I was there, I partied and drank and, and just destroyed the town pretty much. I'm going getting bar fights, whatever. And so the second year, though, was a different deal. I was in Houston, Texas. And I I'd, I'd went down there and was working. I was a drifter if you get the picture from Texas to Alaska, 4,000 miles, I think. So I was, I was in Houston, Texas, and uh, smoked, I'd smoked some weed, and I was walking down the road. And all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit just fell upon me and said, if you died right now, where would you go? Couldn't answer that. Had no idea. Had no idea where I'd be. And so... I started seeking God, but here's the cool thing. My mom, she never wavered in her faith. She would tell me about this Jesus. She would tell me, and, and she would made me go to church. She made me. It wasn't a choice when I was younger. I didn't want to go. But she made me. So I knew about this Jesus. I knew about this truth. And so I went, I, I, I was so disturbed within my spirit, I started looking for someone to talk to in Houston. I couldn't find anyone. So I go up to Ketchikan, Alaska. So I'm on my way through. I left there and was going to Ketchikan to work. And I stopped in at Missouri Valley with some buddies of mine that were there. And they were wanting me to party with them. And I'm like, no, I'm quitting. I'm quitting. And they said, you're quitting? Have you lost your mind? And that's what I'd tell them. I didn't tell them. I didn't know how to tell them that there was something in me driving me this desire to, to come to Christ. I didn't want to tell him. I was kind of embarrassed about it, maybe. And so, I get, I get there, and they talk me into it, and I was just miserable. So when I get to Ketchikan, I thought, man, i got to get it right with God. I have to. And so, one Sunday morning, I went up on this, the Ketchikan, the best way to describe it is a quarter mile wide because it goes from the ocean right up to the mountains and about 18 miles long. So it's this long, narrow passage of land and then it's mountains and all the houses and everything are built on these mountainsides on stilts and pillars. And so the church was about three blocks up this mountain. So I walked up there. The place was packed. Of course, I was looking for a back seat. I was a back seat Baptist. <laughs> So I was up there, and I, and, and, and I don't even remember the invitation. But what I do know is the Holy Spirit said, today is your day. Today, what are you going to do with it? I want to change you. Are you going to let me? So I thought, I don't really want to go up there. It was packed. And, and so they gave the invitation, and it was like, Right now is your chance. So I walked down that aisle, and I fell on my face in front of this church and just started weeping. Here's, here, here's how simple it is. 
This was my salvation prayer. God, I screwed my life up. There is no hope. I don't understand your love because I didn't have no one to even show me that. And so what I was doing, I was suppressing that with the drugs and the alcohol, all my anger, all my bitterness, all my hatred, because it, it hurt. So I drank and I got drunker and I, become, and I was becoming my very own father. But what was really cool about that was that God said, listen, I'll intervene. And so when he intervened for me, spiritually I had no understanding of anything. So I had to be broke. And so when that took place, there was this burning within me this, that, that God, you know, and I thought a lot about that. Mark talked about it last, last Sunday, digging that well, getting that settlement, getting all that mud and junk out of your life. I look at it as I remember one time we bought a bunch of uh, crawdads in Houston. And my brother was so mad at us. But anyway, he went to work and we, it was five, four of us living in an apartment down there. And we bought these crawdads. And these crawdads, you had to purge them because they were full of mud. And so we took them home and we threw them in the bathtub, about 10 pounds of them. Threw them in the bathtub. We were all bachelors, so we really didn't care about a money bathtub. My brother did. He was a neat freak. Boy, he came home, and that's another story. But, but anyway, we threw these crawdads in this bathtub, and we ran clean water, fresh water. It takes fresh water to purge a, a crawdad. And what it does is as longer you let them sit in there, they start cycling that through their system, kicks out all the mud, and then you can cook them and eat them. But you don't want to do that before that because you're eating mud. And, I, and that's what God had to do to me. He had to purge me. And the first thing he done was he had to show me his love. And so in my thought process as I was preparing this, I was like, Lord, take me back through the steps of what you showed me. And so what I've done is I've picked out four things that God showed me, and I hope it helps you as fathers today. Because, boy, we're in dire need of fathers. And so, and you may be here today, and you may have been going through the same thing as I've been going through, or even worse. I mean, there's sexual abuse. There's all kinds of things that has taken place in our lives today, and you'd be surprised how Satan is attacking the family. And that's what I believe. I believe that it's a, it, you know, I'm talking to the fathers, but I'm talking to the family because it's a family issue that, that's taken place. And so what, what God has shown me as I, shared my, as I shared my testimony, where I came from, and how he's got me to the point I am now. And it's, and it's not been easy. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I've had to, I still have to, I, one of the things that my family in our trade is anger. And I think that has a lot to do because of the rejection that I have felt all my life. My brother gets, I get, my sister can get angry pretty quick. Even my brother Paul that's handicapped, he, can deal, he deals with it. My brother deals with it and I deal with it. I mean, you could say we're a little bit hot-headed in some ways. I have to rein that back. I have to sometimes just say, Lord, you got to get this because <laughs> I'm getting ready to wig out. I'm just being honest with you. You know, and I deal with anger. And so to understand love, how important it is for the, how to the physical father, with no physical father, 
And then I have, all of a sudden, I, this, this, this Jesus loves me? Really? That's how I've seen it for a long time. So he had to break me and show me that. And so the first thing, the first passage of Scripture that I picked out is John 3.16. And it's a simple one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, who shall ever believe in him shall have eternal life. The first thing a father has to do to make a strong home is to love. Love, I, I, and I thought about it. Just because he loved, his love drove him to the cross. He had to die. It wasn't, love wasn't enough because mercy and grace came through the cross. But it was that love that put him on the cross. So love motivates us. You know, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. That pushes us to doing something. Love, I, I call love is my motor. You know, if you love something, you're compassionate about something, you do something about it. And that's what, that's what God done. He done something about it on the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the motor that pushed him to the cross. So the first thing is we have to love. And then the second thing I came up with was, a, a, a next, a father provides. In Philippians 4.19, it says, My God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He provides. You know, to, I, I've been doing a little bit of work here lately. I went back to work. And there's some guys that don't want to pay their child support. They don't want to provide. My, you know, as I look at my heavenly father, my wife and I can give you testimony after testimony after testimony how he's provided because we've surrendered to him. He wants to provide. He wants us to depend upon him. And so, in that provision, he has shown me that a father will provide. <laughs> if you just ask. But yet, in our broken world, sometimes we don't give him a chance to provide. <laughs> we go get it ourselves. And he wants to be our Heavenly Father. He wants to give. He really does. <laughs> and then the third thing is, my Heavenly Father wants to protect. My wife and I, I don't know how many times he's protected me. I gave you an example. I, I, when, I went, when I was in the eighth grade, I got so drunk. In the eighth grade, I was in Stotsy, back what I was talking about. I, I passed out on 97 Highway on a hill, but yet he protected me. Not only does he want to protect me physically, he protects us spiritually. I think if we could only see the spiritual realm, we'd be terrified. We would be terrified, and there's not much we can do about it because we don't have that kind of power. So he protects us spiritually. A father should protect. I don't know of a man, one, that wouldn't step up and protect his family, or I hope you would. That's your job. It's to provide. 
It's to protect. First, it's to love, provide, and protect. That's what a man is called to do. And when you don't have that in the physical realm, it's very hard to understand that in the spiritual realm. It just is. But yet, somehow God is, when he broke me, it took me out of the picture, and I had to depend upon that. And then the next thing he does is he, and this is one we really don't want to talk about, is he disciplines. In Revelation 3.19, it says, those whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. This is a tough one to talk about. As fathers, you're supposed to discipline. It's not a fun job. And it's really, I used to think of discipline as a mean thing, but it's not. Man, I'm so glad my father disciplined me. I'm so glad that in Ketchikan, Alaska, he broke me. That's what he was doing. He was disciplining me. For the fact that if I, if I would have continued down the road that I was going down, and I've heard a thousand teachers, and, and, and not just teachers, law enforcement say, Pat, you're either going to be dead or you're going to kill somebody. And I was. Because you see, I was turning in to the very same person that I didn't want to be my dad. But you don't have to carry those family traits. It's an option. It's an option. In Christ, I became a new creature. In, in Christ, I can overcome all things. All things. I don't know what your family history is. I really don't. Um, it's, it's kind of confusing anymore. You think of families and you think, oh, they got their act together. And then you start ministering and you find out they don't. My family's act ain't together. We got all kinds of issues in our family. I'm just being honest with you. But what I do know is, what I do know is that he will take you, he might break you, but he will use you and change your family if you'll let him. I want to read something to you. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Therefore, Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rains came down and the streams arose. The wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation, its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds a, his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams arose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There's two kinds of builders here. You know, I got to kind of, I got to kind of thinking about my dad and me. Two different kinds of building took place. My dad built his, his house on material things and left it for me, <laughs> a sandy soil. But, my heavenly father had different plans. <laughs> yeah. He had a different plan. And as you read this passage of scripture, it says the foolish man. That word means irresponsible, if you look it up. We think uh, foolish is what an idiot. <laughs> but it really means a foolish person or irresponsible person. You can see fathers all over. Man, there's people hurting all over this country. All you got to do is look around. 
All you have to do is look. I had the opportunity Thursday. It was in Walmart. I was talking to this guy, and he was in law enforcement. He knew me well. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> and he's like, man, Pat, I just cannot believe. And I'm not, first off, I'm not taking any credit for nothing. I'm as filthy rags without Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you that straight up. And I wouldn't even talk to you. I'm just being honest. And you wouldn't talk to me. If you, I mean, that's just, uh, Jesus changed my life. I want you to understand that. There's nothing else that I can tell you. I don't have a formula. All I know is if you cry out to him, you may have to get prostate and fall on your face and say, Lord, here I am. He'll, he'll change you. He'll change you. And he wants to. And he wants to, he wants to love you. He wants to protect you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to do this. He will discipline you. And discipline's a good thing. It really is. But I talked to this man at Walmart. And he's a big man. And he's like, man, Pat, how are you? I just, and he started talking to me about how much God had changed me. And I said, wait a minute. That's great. And I appreciate that. But it was Jesus that changed me. He goes, well, I know, but, I, you know. And I said, so how are you? Tears started running down this guy's face. Not very good. Not very good. I said, man, what's going on? He can't hardly walk anymore. He was a big man. He, he, and, and he's broken down. The storms of life are catching up to him. That's what this is talking about. And he's broken. His family is being destroyed by Satan. His daughter's getting divorced. She's wanting to move back in with me because I can't handle much more than this. And he said, Pat, I'll be honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm hoping to die within the next five years. And I thought, wow. I said, yeah, but I said, listen to me. Jesus loves you, man. He goes, I know that. But I just can't take much more. The only promises, the only thing we have is the promises of Jesus. I mean, that's it. Man, you've got a huge responsibility as, as fathers. Are going to be fathers. This is your job. This is, your, this is what God has called us to do. I don't know how well we're doing. I, I mean, we provide physically, but spiritually, how's your house? I mean, I don't know what my house would have been like if I would have had a dad. And it really don't matter. That was then. This is now. God's got another plan. He picked me up. He set me on that solid rock. And I'm telling you, he'll use you if you just say, here I am. He wants to. But we're so caught up in the world. We're so caught up in the lackadaisical things of this world. Like my dad. At the end of my dad's life, I'll tell you what happened. He ended up in prison for fraud. He gets out. And he's, by this time, I'm living for Jesus. For the first time in my life, I've been set free. And I'm telling people very vocally what happened in my life. And somewhere along the line, my dad starts talking to me about the Bible. 
starts calling me up. So I knew <laughs> something's happening here. And my dad ain't just going to read the Bible. He just, he's just not. And so I started asking him questions. The next thing you know, he's, he's repenting to me. He's like, man, I have not been a good father. Would you forgive me? And so I asked my brother about that. I said, Rusty, did dad ever call you? And he said, you know, he did. So as my dad's getting ready to, to die, I mean, he, he, he had diabetes. And so he went in one time to the hospital and got an infection. They didn't know if he was going to make it. So I went and seen him. He made it. So the next time he gets an infection, this time he didn't make it. But he calls me and he said, Pat, I want to, I want to tell you something. He said, I got it right with the Lord and I'm not afraid to die. And that was about, and that was about. I could have been bitter. And there's some of you here today that are holding bitterness. You'd rather be bitter than setting your family free. Let it go. We all have pains. We all have aches. It's the, pro- the, the question is, what are you putting your house on? What are you building it on? There's a solid foundation. And in this passage of Scripture, as Mark talked, Brother Mark talked about dig and dig, dig, dig. You might have to sacrifice your grandson, huh, Mark? Right? <laughs> but as you dig down to put your footing on solid ground, that's what it's talking about. Over in Israel, the ground's sandy, so they had to dig down to the strong foundation. Then they poured it on the rock. It takes pain to dig sometimes. It take, you get calloused hands. But I'm telling you, Satan is wanting to sift our families. Men of God, you've got to step up. We have to. We need to start having open discussions with our kids or with our wives about the word. Don't be ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of salvation unto those who believe. Be bold. Live your life for Christ. Because, man, he died for you so you could do that. I'm just so grateful that, that I have a heavenly father that is, is showing me and teaching me along the way. He's patient too. I don't know where you stand today, but my challenge is to you is to be honest with yourself. You see, I justified all my wrongs. One of the passages of Scripture comes to my mind, be not deceived. Satan lies to you, but you buy into it. And then you start lying to yourself. My dad didn't know whether he was telling the truth or lying half the time. He just didn't. Because he lied to himself so much. And I bought into it and then I was turning out just like him. There's a hope. If you want to change, 2 Corinthians tells us we can do that. So I don't believe you carry the spiritual illness of your family only unless you want to. Brother Mark. really feel like the Spirit of the Lord's speaking very strong, very clearly now. I'm going to ask Vicki if she'll just start playing a bit. There's a call. There's a gifting here. The gifting is evangelism. He wants to see people saved. Took from a broken life to redemption through a true Father, our Heavenly Father. So for the next few minutes, if you're here and the Spirit of God is stirring you up like Pat talked about when he was in that before he went to that church in Alaska. If the Lord's stirring you up, pay attention to that. It may feel awful. It may feel disturbance and scary. And it does feel all those things. 
But I'm telling you, it's a good sign if your Heavenly Father's reaching to you and telling you to come. So we're going to just let you deal with that. We're going to open the altars. Pat's going to be here. He'll be ready to pray with you. Let's stand.